This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this August 16th episode of Real Talk. Jesperson here with Hicks. Excited to have you on board for this episode. It's going to be a good one. In just a quick second, Tristan Hopper will join us. We're going to talk about bumps and popularity for a couple of prominent Canadians on the conservative side of the ledger, one of them officially and and one of them just obviously. What's the deal with Jordan Peterson? Why is Tristan so intrigued by his skyrocket to (laughs) success? And then Pierre Polyev. I mean, a big bump in the polls. You're right. The polls, you're going to go, what are you talking? There's no election even near to now. You're right. But Canadians are telling pollsters that if an election were to be held right now, the Conservatives would quite likely form a majority government. So what is it that Pierre Polyev's doing right? Or what is it that Justin Trudeau is doing wrong? Or what is it that Jagmeet Singh's just not doing at all? Charles Adler chimed in on this on Monday. Hopper's going to get into that today. Plus, Mark Doran will join us. This guy, you've heard him on the program before from the polluter pay federation this guy knows more than anybody else i know i think about what's going on in alberta energy he's a fierce fighter uh, for alberta's environment he works in land and oil field management and and we're going to get his take mark and i were chatting you know off the show and i basically said you know it'd be cool is if you came in here with his straight talk and style uh if if i remember his what he's wearing correctly this morning john he's in studio he's in our green room right now he rolled in from central alberta i think he's rocking carhartt this morning so this guy is like he's probably going to be out there working this afternoon this is a guy that understands things like coal and uh, he understands oil and gas and he's got a clear understanding of solar and the role that it is now playing in Alberta the role it could be playing but the role it certainly will not be playing at least with new projects over the next six months or so of course we're talking about this UCP moratorium so lots of stuff we're going to get to some of your comments On the Edmonton Elks and the CFL in general, is the league dying on the vine? What would it take for you to start going to games again? And we're going to deploy today. We're going to roll out our first ever. It's like a vlog. It's like it's it's like we got a a real talker that took the time instead of an email to send us a video of him laying out his thoughts. And I absolutely love it. I want to see more of this in the shows to come. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah. People can always email us anytime, whether it's a video, an email or something else to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Tristan Hopper in 30 seconds. But first, I wanted to tell you about Rello through the course of this summer. You know, your your kids have been off of school, right? And a lot of people have been winding things down in their employment like you know at least for the summer months you get a lot of out of office replies a lot of people are out at the cabin or they're out in the back country and they're just not necessarily thinking about what's next they haven't been thinking about the fall and how they're going to hit the ground running but you have right i'm talking to you you know that this time right now early to mid-august is the best time to take that real estate course that you've been thinking about because Come fall, officially, you'll be able to and ready to start a career that you actually love. Why not leave cubicle life behind for good with Rello? Rello's online real estate courses are fully accredited to help you get your real estate license to practice in Alberta. And they just added a commercial real estate course to their offerings. More courses coming soon, which is fantastic. You heard Jarrett Campbell talking about it. He's a recent Rello grad. He was on our group chat roundtable a couple of Fridays ago. 
Get licensed the easy way, like Jarrett did, with Rello's convenient, self-paced courses. You can check out Rello.ca. That's R-E-L-O.ca to get started. I'm so glad we left the cubicles behind, Ryan. John, just leave cubicle life behind. Screw the cube, man. You and I were laughing at this <laughs> this uh, story that's been in the news, and it just feels like you know, in the summer, you'd think we'd be able to get around to all the lazy stories. Oh, the Zoom this- thing. But yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, but we haven't touched on it because there's just been so much going on politically and otherwise. Yeah. We talked about those fires in Lahaina. How about the fires that are going on in like Northwest Territories, Northern BC right yeah, now? It's... We're keeping a, a, a keen eye on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this story, Zoom has ordered, <laughs> like the company Zoom has ordered its employees back to work, which is hilarious. The small print is that they've got to be back just for two days a week yeah. if they live within 50 miles of HQ, but still. But of all the companies to be like, hey... Yeah, <laughs> get back into the workplace. You literally are the people pushing that, you know, everyone should work from home and use your app to do it. The reason why you are <laughs> literally the only reason why you are a billion dollar company right yeah. now more is because <laughs> you made it possible for people not to come into work. Yeah. I love it. I wonder if our next guest has been, I don't know what Tristan Hopper's setup is. Uh, he's a, a national columnist based out of British Columbia for the National Post and a good friend of this show. Good morning to you, my man. It's nice to see your face. It's been a while. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what's what's the national national post policy or position? I mean, I, I guess probably in journalism, we see more and more people, especially those working in web and or print, that are working from home. Are you a hundred percent full time at home? Uh, yeah, I was before the uh, pandemic, uh, just because I'm in Victoria and there's no bureau here. Yeah, but we all have uh, horrible hygiene and really dubious social skills. So I think the National Post particularly has really seized this opportunity to never see each other again. They knew that it was they had sort of like an HR nightmare brewing. You, you'd probably blow them up on your Twitter if they were to actually talk to you about the hygiene stuff. So and said, thank God. Thank God for the pandemic, because they could finally just squirrel you away at your place. Yeah, I've been doing this uh, for about five years. I've been at sort of a non, you know, a a different bureau. But uh, my editor, who's one of the people I speak to most in my life, uh, I forget what her her voice sounds like uh, because it's all just by text. So I like to think we we, we exist in some, you know, futuristic plane of efficiency. Yeah. Um, Working from home, my efficiency went up. Oh, like I realized I was spending like two, three hours a day. Just having, you know, certain unnamed Edmonton Journal columnist yammer at me about nothing. Um, so I, I'm getting a lot more done. You're like the only person in Canada whose productivity improved working from home. I, I think a lot of people's productivity improved, but that just means that they're also like getting the laundry done. They're get, you know getting like dinner prepped. You know, they're making sure that their front garden is weeded. We see you. We know who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did do a lot of brush clearing when I was supposed to be editing yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, there's kind of like a metaphor there anyway. Uh, it, it, I'm going to jump ahead in our in our uh, lesson plan here because uh, I do want to talk to you about Jordan Peterson and I do want to talk to you about Pierre Polyev, but I can't help but notice you've joined us from various locales uh, over the last couple of years. Now, potentially all from the same home, uh, but your background now is, is, is the background of, of an accomplished man. Uh, you've, you've no, it isn't. To, you, um, it, well, these it, are uh, these are well. That's that's my eight track collection. I'm still looking for an eight track player. Um, and then then you got your comic. But books, it's kind my, of like uh, ironic. It's like a cultivate. It's a cultivated collection. Uh, this is a yeah, guy, yeah. I suppose so. I, uh, well, I, a journalist always pose in front of like you know a bunch of uh, really thick history books and yeah. stuff. So I thought, well, why don't I pose? 
in front of uh, a bunch of old crap I bought at garage sales that I haven't looked at. John and I have been talking about set design here in the Real Talk studio because we understand it's a, it, it's I don't know if you'd call it meager. It's it's minimalist. It's a minimalist mm. design. I like it. But but we've thought maybe like we could have a shelf with some knickknacks and trinkets on it. Yeah. It's it's more like the sports guys always have like football helmets behind them and, yeah. and but so we've we've kind of wondered like what would we put in here? I would fill it with trophies because you know what I just realized. You uh. can just buy trophies. People die, and then their <laughs> their their wives sell the, sell their bowling trophies. So it's actually an amazing. Uh, my daughter is five and two. They recently realized that, so they're like pushing me hard. We're we're just acquiring vast quantities of trophies we never earned. And I gotta say, the satisfaction it's like eighty percent. It's not a hundred percent, but it's pretty close. It's more than fifty percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm 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 picturing shelves and shelves just full of trophies. <laughs> Such That's a right. Idea. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a heaving box in the garage full okay, of well, someone's trophies. People are going to go. Is is Jesperson seriously the, the first five minutes of the show? You're obsessing yeah. over operating. What the what the hell? Sorry. I'm getting at something. We have smoothly mm. gone into your your observation. Uh, Roman Baber, who wanted to be conservative leader uh, and, uh, and and ran that campaign, kind of more on the you know the, sort of the, the right side of the, of that roster of leadership contenders, but he's asking folks to consider the fact that he understands fiscal conservatism, even on a a small and personal level. He says, uh, my first mattress in Canada was from the recycling bin. He says, it's okay because that's all it was needed to succeed. I knew that in Canada to work hard and to be nice to people. He talks about how Justin Trudeau is robbing young people of opportunity while Pierre Polyev's team will restore hope and Canadian opportunity. You're not impressed at all. Uh, based on your Twitter response, you're not impressed at all that this guy pulled a mattress out of the recycling bin. You say that wouldn't even make the list of the top 20 recklessly cheap things you've done. No, I see what he's getting at. You know, I, I didn't immigrate to Canada. I was just born here. But, oh, man, I slept for like four months on a dog mattress. I borrowed from a friend who had sled dogs. <laughs> um, so I just sort of put... Um, she didn't tell me later. She just, oh, by the way, this is an old dog mattress. So... Uh, that was about four months on, on a dog mattress. Uh, I slept on an air mattress in a basement. So I lived in this house and I said, well, how about if I sublet my room, but I secretly live in the basement, thus I don't have to pay rent anymore. So I did that for a while. And in terms of like garbage bin mattresses, oh yeah, I slept for years on a mattress I found on the street, which is not advisable, but for a number of reasons, I didn't think there was bed bugs in it. So anyway, I see what he's trying to get at, but, uh, you know, and I'm I'm sure most people understand that, but for the hyper-recklessly cheap, such as myself, it's, it's just not resonating. Yeah, I, uh, I I have a buddy who's got a business. I, I don't want to like, I'm not mocking it. This is just, I'm, pre- I'm presenting facts, mm-hmm. uh, but part of his business is finding a secondary market for hotels that are swapping out their mattresses. And so Ooh. so he had there are hotel mattresses that people can pick up for bargain basement prices. Uh, and that to, that's always to be quite honest. I've said it to try not to think what's happened on it. Uh, you can't, I mean, gu- uh, guarantee one death and a whole bunch yeah. of weird illicit sex, a whole bunch so, of, of, you know, of weird sweet dreams. Yeah. Yeah, he he keeps black lights as far away as possible from his warehouse. You know, he doesn't want anybody employing that technology. So um, but, you know, some people will say, hang on a second, though, you 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 two glib pricks here uh, mocking, yeah. mocking people yeah. on budgets and hardworking immigrants, uh, Canada, making fun of the fact that people have to do what they have to do, to, which is yeah. not what we're doing, obviously. But 
That probably is two years out, lots of room for things to change and evolve, but that's probably what this next federal election will be fought over, right? Canadians' lack of opportunity, increased cost of living, the out-of-touch oh, yeah. elite yeah. liberals, right? Is that Yeah, why? I was looking at a study today, uh, which was, was finding that most Canadians think that uh, there's they don't really believe in the idea of economic mobility. So one of my favorite facts for years was the fact that the uh, American dream was more potent in Canada. Uh, you know, it used to be um, in that it was easier to sort of climb the rungs of the economic ladder in Canada than it was in the United States. Mm. That's not true anymore. Um, most people sort of believe, um, I mean, housing being sort of a big factor in this, uh, their kids are not going to be as wealthy as they are uh, for a number of reasons, and that it's harder to sort of get into the elites. So, yeah, uh, whether it's perception, and there certainly is some you know economic data to back this up, this idea that we have, we're sort of entrenching into these economic cases that you can't escape from, which isn't good. Yeah, we have. I spoke to Karen Virlal, uh, I guess it was a few weeks ago on the show. People can find it. He's a, a, a relatively young, he's a lawyer, an up and coming lawyer in the city of Edmonton. He's worked as a staffer for uh, the Kenny UCP. He's worked as a staffer at the federal level for the conservative party. Now he's he's a commentator, who writes at the hub and stuff like that. And and he was talking about like he, he he's a guy you get from him that he he wants to push the conservative party to be better. Uh, he doesn't want the party to get complacent. He doesn't want the party to just be the the kind of like de facto alternative to the the incumbent liberals, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and his criticism for the Polyedlev conservatives right now is that he's not hearing a lot of solutions from them. He's not seeing or hearing a lot of like, here is actually what we would do to make life affordable or quite frankly, just to make your life better. Uh, we are seeing a bump in the polls for the conservatives, though. Uh, what do you read into all of this? Why do you think it's happening? I've been intrigued by the idea in recent weeks uh, that the idea of an opposition party in Canada. And I do like, you know, as compared to the United States, it's interesting that we have just sort of an opposition party, that we have sort of a, a prime minister in waiting at all times, ready to take over. But I'm intrigued by the idea uh, that your job as an opposition isn't really to propose solutions. You can kind of do that at a party level, but it's just to sit there and point out what a crappy job the government is doing. And then once you take power, uh, people can trust you and you can you can design your own policy. Uh, so I think I can think of a few examples of opposition parties that just got two in their own head about sort of drawing up, you know, solutions and things they were going to do. And a bunch of nerds and rooms are sort of putting together policies that no one really cares about and they don't end up winning. Um, so I do think um, the system is designed where you just sit there, point out how much the government sucks, and then you get a chance if they suck enough that people pick them over you, you over them. Yeah. Do you think that this, do you think like, we, we talked about this with Adler on Monday, like, you know, what, what does he read into it? And he doesn't think that it has anything to do with anything that Poliev is doing. I think it's due to factors outside of his control. Maybe, maybe, maybe the truth lies somewhere in the middle there. I don't know. Uh, there has been kind of a subtle or not so subtle rebrand of the conservative leader, which, you know, every party does it or many parties do it. There's nothing unusual about it, but it's always interesting to watch like gone are the glasses, gone are mm. the, you looked at Poliev, he kind of, he was one of the He's, politicians, he's I would say he, he keeps it, he, he kept it tight. Like he always had the tie tight. He was always very clean shaved. Mm-hmm. His hair had like brill cream in it. Like he was like, that was his kind of like Mad Men 1950s. If anybody knows where he's getting his brill cream, please email me. I've, <laughs> I've, seen, I've, seen, it for, find this out. I've seen it for sale at some, some uh, vintage shops. 
But I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm curious to know if that and, and my interpretation of what they're doing is softening him up a little bit. Um, I think he has like he's one of the more effective sort of attack dogs that we've seen in Parliament like in years. Uh, you've got to respect his his ability on that front, whether you like it or not. It's effective. But but clearly the conservatives, I think, see a bit of an impetus to soften his look a little bit, whether that's to have him play better with women. I don't know. Uh, what do you think of the rebrand? And do you think that's it, it is in? true that uh, I mean, th- this is actually a very interesting trend you're seeing across a lot of the Western world um, is that you're seeing women are going really far left. Uh, men are going real right wing. And I don't think anything like this has ever happened before in which you've seen such a gender divide in which parties we support. Um, so that's part of it. Yeah. Because whenever polling came out of a polyev, it was like, Oh yeah, he's going to clinch this just based on young men, men generally men are fine with polyev, but women it was like, you know, a 20 point gap in terms of you know what they thought of him so yeah i i definitely have noticed uh yeah he's uh making more public appearances uh without the glasses and showing off his uh good physique which always existed uh, actually one of the, the first news items about pierre polyever after he was he was um after he entered uh, the house of commons and he was particularly young when he entered the house of commons yeah was about his weird workout routine this is this is some ctv story from like 2004 where he had a bunch of like tractor tires. Maybe this is still his workout uh, in his backyard, and he would like fight tractor tires for an hour a day. And he's like, you know, young young MP Pierre Polyver, this is his workout. Um, so presumably he still has tires. Maybe they're nicer, um, but he's always been in relatively good shape. Unlike yeah. a lot of conservative leaders in recent memory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is kind of like we we uh, maybe a little bit of weird territory to get into just talking about politicians' physiques. But if it's going to come down to it in the next election, you've, you've got you got some svelte fellas that are leading the th- all three of the parties. If it's going to turn, if that's what Canadians are going to be voting on, you know, who's got the best hair and who's got the best pecs? I don't know. This could be more of a nail biter. That, could, that oh, there he is, Johnny, yes. with the photo poll for our YouTube audience. Wow. Hey, Johnny, what did you Google to find that photo? Pierre Tire Workout. <laughs> wow. Anything yeah. else interesting come up in that search result? You don't want to know. No, I don't want to know. Hey, well, speaking of a legion of, of, of fans uh, in the young male demographic, uh, I want to ask you about your tweet. You knew you were coming on the show this morning. I'm sure that you tweeted this last night just to ensure we had plenty of fodder. You put out there, it's not normal that Jordan Peterson can become a thought guru overnight or that some random country song, I'm I'm assuming you're talking about Jason Aldean, can overwhelm the charts in a weekend. Both, you write, are signs of a mainstream media environment that isn't even attempting to serve the zeitgeist. You go on to say not even the Elvis-hating parents of the 50s were quite as angry and baffled by the emergence of a cultural phenomenon they hadn't personally approved and vetted. What prompted that? Oh, I was just, uh, I was procrastinating from doing my work. But yeah, it's, I, I've sort of thought of this, that you've had all these like weird overnight wild successes, uh, whether it's movies uh, or, or music or, you know, just Jordan Peterson. It's really weird that, I mean, Jordan Peterson, just like seven years ago, he was just some guy at the U of T. You could just call and he would pick up his own phone. And now he's like selling out stadiums and, you know, going on weird adventures. And he's, he's basically become this like, you know, demi messiah. 
And I think you can, it's entirely chalked up to the fact that, um, you know, whether it's Hollywood or whether it's the mainstream media, like, you know, there is just a large, an increasing share of the population that is just not being served by their entertainment media, by their thought leaders, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, when I look at polls, um, I, I, mean, I had this thought the other day and I thought, I can't think of a single Canadian institution, public or private, so, you know, business, university, that is more conservative now than it was five years ago. Uh, but when you look at polls, uh, people are getting way more conservative. Um, so, you know, one one trend that's fascinated me in the last couple of years is you're seeing young people, so people under 30, uh, are plurality supporting the Conservative Party of Canada and starting to back some, uh, you know, pretty conservative ideas. Um, not so much, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, old fashioned conservatism, but, you know, economic conservatism and you know, just uh, uh, I'm, I'm struggling for examples. But anyway, young people are getting more conservative. People generally are getting more conservatives, uh, you know, and this just is not being reflected uh, in our institutions and in our media. Uh, so I think what you're seeing is when people just get a slight glimpse of something that isn't from the mainstream, like Jordan Peterson, uh, he achieves just absolutely outsized quantities of success huh his like you know if you if you consider uh you know canadian academics um and and i'm trying to even think of or, or like canadian thought leaders like i'm trying like do we get to claim david from i think we do right um like malcolm gladwell um like i'm, I'm just trying yeah, to, yeah, i'm, I'm trying to think of like Pinker, who you, but like gladwell, jordan peterson uh, like for for purpose of reference like this guy what like eight years ago, some six years ago, like pre-explosion was basically like, no offense to anybody, but just, to, he was like, just a University of Toronto professor, right? Yeah. Like, that, yeah. he was a university, that, that's fine, that's interesting. I'm sure there's lots of professors at U of T and certainly across Canadian universities that have written books and that go on speaking tours and things like that, but but like over the last five years, you know, this guy's got, just, just on YouTube alone, 7.3 three five million subscribers like his videos i'm just reading right now like six million views 5.9 million views 4.7 like for for a psychology prof at the university of toronto those numbers are are disproportionate to what you would expect and and then you look internationally and like joe rogan's bringing jordan peterson on his podcast yeah you know it's one yeah. thing if peterson gets rogan on his it's another to be invited on the biggest podcast in the world uh, and, and that's these are just two examples off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. And it's, Joe Rogan's another example. I mean, Joe Rogan was the guy from Fear Factor and yeah. News Radio. Uh, I mean, when I was in Los Angeles 10 years ago, I went to a comedy open mic and he was like there testing out new material and people knew who he was, but he wasn't the king of all media. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 strange. I, I, I mean, the 1950s example, when you think of just like you have a Western world that is just so starved. Uh, for anything that's not just Perry Como music. And then suddenly just, you know, all these songs start coming out, rock and roll, that aren't tremendously, uh, you know, edgy by today's standards, but they just kind of sweep over people because people are so starved for something different. Um, so, yeah, it's it's weird. I think if you, in like, a, you know, a normal country song comes out that's complaining about rich people, pretty standard type country song. Um, and then it just sort of overtakes the charts so I, I think you have i i think it's indicative of somebody at the top kind of has their their foot on the throat of things and we're not having an organic flourishing of what people want and that's why you're having these, these weird sort of eruptions 
Tristan, uh, it's always so good to see you, my man. And, and we always love to give an extra special shout out to our West Coast guests who get up bright and early to be as camera ready as you are today. Thanks for Thanks it. So much. Sure and if anybody it. knows where to get an A-Trek, A-Trek player. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody reached. I mean, but the thing is, like, my knowledge of that technology, I was like, it was kind of just fading out as I was coming mm. up. You know, I'm more familiar with, like, the, the, the nice new vehicles. I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm a 77. So, like, I remember, you know, my dad had, like, a 1980 Oldsmobile, which was, like, just a smooth ride. Uh, I can think of, like, the Buicks and Cadillacs of those early 80s. Those were kind six of the... horsepower. You know, yeah. But but those were the ones that had, like, the cas- the cassette decks. Mm-hmm, um, that's right. I'm, I'm thinking eight tracks. You had them in the in the dash of a lot of the cars through the 70s, you know, and, and prior to that, of course. But... but with regards to a desktop unit or, or a cabinet top unit, uh, that might be a tougher find. Mm, may not exist. May not okay. exist. Okay. Well, the captain and Tennille, two of them, will go and listen to, I suppose. Oh, all right, pal. Well, we'll let you know if anybody reaches out. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. If you've got an eight track, you'd be willing to pass along to this uh, national correspondent for the National Post. There's Tristan Hopper. Do you have any knowledge of like eight track? Is that like your DJ, obviously? <laughs> Your other main job? No, I mean, I remember there was one in the house, like like an old one when I was younger that I used to mess around with. But uh, no, I'm a, I'm a vinyl purist. Like, I, I love the sound of vinyl. It's I, the best. So pe- warm. And I hate to say that because people are like, what are you talking about? And a lot of people who grew up with digital nowadays, they don't even understand the difference but it does it has a warm resonating sound compared to i can tell nowadays when a dj plays something for example if it's a vinyl rip which means they've changed it from vinyl to mp3 okay or if they're playing real vinyl or if it's a brand new digital copy digital just has kind of this I don't know. It's it's a very straightforward sound, where, yeah. whereas vinyl has like a warm feeling yes. to it, and the levels are all off. Like nowadays, everything is so compressed. You look at a waveform, and it's just it's right there to the edges, right? Whereas vinyl, it, you know, it dips, it goes up and down. It doesn't have mu- as much compression because things were recorded differently. Are you before, like right? a sh- are you like a chef that goes to somebody else's restaurant and you no. can't you can't really no. enjoy it? Like when you're at a wedding, you hear somebody <laughs> no. else play music. Are you like they've compressed the wave file? And no, it's not- because everything I use nowadays is digital. I actually use it's crazy. I'll just let you a window into DJing. Most of my music isn't even on my hard drive now. I use a, a DJ software. Uh, oh, slash website that literally streams live. I can type in any song and it goes right into my library on the fly. I use a Wi-Fi hub for we it. I blow- still have stuff on a hard drive just in case you know things go wonky and there's no Wi-Fi. I have a, a large library, fifty thousand songs, but for the most part, I, I'm DJing on the fly and getting requests. It's that amazing, right? Come right into your Remember computer. Remember back in instantly. the day, like yeah. DJs with milk cr- cart milk crates full of records yeah, and like and zipper. You know, I don't want to. Big- I don't CD want, booklets. I don't want to date myself, but when I began <laughs> DJing the first year, I would drag crates of records in with stickers on them that would... For sure. Here's the start of the song. Here's the good part you want to scratch over. Here's what I... I hate right? to tell you this, but I love watching DJs still do that. There's mm-hmm. something pulling the record out, putting it on. Oh, yeah. It's just more work for everybody. But I've long dropped the purest thing. Like nowadays, people are like, oh, you have to use turntables or you have to use DJ controllers or... Yeah, nah, whatever. You know what? A guy behind a facade at a wedding or a corporate event or even a club, as long as he's playing good music, he or she, yeah, it are does people not on matter. The dance they floor? don't care if That's he's all anybody a phone cares or about. what it is. Yeah, um, uh, Justin here says Jordan Peterson has struck a chord and capitalized on the incel community uh, and and the, and the outrage of people that feel 
you know, put upon or put out by political correctness. And uh, I agree with Justin. And he says, I don't consider Rogan the king of media these days. His brand has been tainted. I used to respect, but he's gone beyond the pale. Um, I mean, like mm. it or not, Spotify gave he him $100 million. Is. He is. You know, um, the one thing I don't. Howard Stern is the king of media. <laughs> I still How- love listening to Howard Stern. Stern <laughs> is like, you know, like him or not, what that guy accomplished is just absolutely incredible. Anna says, my daughters and their friends are less conservative in their early 20s in Alberta, but you don't have to, be, to move very far left to be less conservative in Alberta. All my friends mm. in BC think I'm a right winger, and I get spun sometimes publicly in Alberta mm-hmm. like a communist. So I'm figure that out. <laughs> I'm just from Alberta. Just from Alberta. And by the way, can you pull up? There was a great comment here from Alberta girl. Can you put up the Pierre Polyev CrossFit tire workout photo again? Just for we'll describe it for our podcast audience. Shout out to those of you on the podcast. <laughs> look at this. She's right. Alberta girl is totally right. Look between his feet. She says, "Look at the grass." She says that tire hasn't moved in weeks. <laughs> Look at that. There's a perfect tire mark in that sod, in that turf right there. Our listeners I, going deep today. I love that. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Like CTV's coming and uh, they got footage of him with his big tire workout in the backyard. Is the tire really? still out there? Wow. He had, he had all these <laughs> tires ready for when the CTV cameras came yeah. by for their scheduled interview. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Uh, let us know what you think about that, uh, what you think about Hopper's take. And of course, if you have an eight track, I didn't check the chat to see if people are letting us know if they have the eight track player. Uh, we got Mark Doran coming up in just a quick second. But you know, every Wednesday, uh, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper. We have an opportunity to kind of get out to the mountains and to basically metaphorically breathe in that fresh air. It's a tradition. It's a tradition that we call My Jasper Memories, and it's presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. I want to tell you about a tradition out there at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge called Symphony Under the Stars. Have you ever had a chance to take this in? Check out my screen. I'm showing this to you on the video, and I'll, and, and I'll put it into words for those of you listening on the pod. There's a wonderful opportunity for the Fairmont, the Jasper Park Lodge has just opened up tickets to folks who aren't buying a package deal that includes accommodation. So there's a lot of flexibility for people interested in checking out this show, maybe those that haven't already. Kick off the Jasper Dark Sky Festival with an open-air performance by the ESO, the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, as they play classical and popular selections on the shores of Lac Beauvert. Uh, the melodic melodies will conjure an unforgettable evening of starlit musical magic in the heart of the world's largest accessible dark sky preserve. The tickets are now available for just the concert, if you like, or you can get a package deal. I mean, you can have the whole weekend experience, right? A delectable three-course plate at dinner, if you like, wine at the Fairmont JPL. Why not cozy up with a blanket and hot chocolate? Witness the magic of the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra Amplified. And this is just such an amazing opportunity. Amplified here and under uh, the Rocky Mountain What's that word I'm looking for, Johnny? Like the amphitheater. It's like this natural, beautiful amphitheater. The Rockies in the background under thousands of twinkling stars. On the Friday night, you can also get tickets for an intimate live jazz concert in the Beauvais dining room. Uh, enjoy scrumptious culinary stations thoughtfully prepared 
by that culinary team indulge in the harmony of food house wine and music you can get all your ticket information and basically go ahead and purchase them we're talking about the weekend of October 13th and 14th so act now because it will sell out at jasperparklodge.ticketbud.com we'll put that link in the notes for the podcast and the YouTube episode go ahead and make your own Jasper Memories. Every Wednesday, My Jasper Memories is presented here on Real Talk by our friends at Tourism Jasper. Well, our next guest uh, is is a return guest to the show, but this is his in-studio debut. Mark, I'm going to get you to hit that white button there to unmute your mic. Now it's official, buddy. Now we're wheels up. Mark Doran uh, is the man behind Doran Land and Oilfield Management. He's a, a fierce advocate for environmental protection in light of Alberta's energy industry, and he's a wonderful friend of this show. Thanks for making the trip in from Central Alberta to be with us in studio today. Glad to be here. Beautiful studio. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Where were you coming in from today? From Red Deer. Red Deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, how was the QE2 on the way up? Nice it and smooth sailing. Smooth sailing all the way, even through Edmonton. The traffic wasn't bad at all. Oh, good stuff. For people that aren't necessarily familiar with you, Mark, you've been on the show before with Reagan Boychuk. You were talking about your work, your advocacy with the Polluter Pay Federation. Uh, but but can you just give people a sense of who you are and what makes you tick, what you do for work? And, and people are going to say, because we get guests on this show that know what they're talking about, but people are going to want to attack your credibility or they're going to want to at least know how did, how are we to trust or know that what this guy's saying is is accurate. So so how did you get into what you're doing and, and how did you arrive at the point you're at now, which is you know a point of quite clearly advocacy? Right. Well, I grew up on a cattle ranch, um, more or less in the town of Didsbury. We had a farm right in the town. It was a pretty unique situation. And uh, then I spent about 45 years in the oil and gas industry, production mostly, uh, you know, in the field. Uh, Most of my career was spent overseas, so I've worked all over the world in oil and gas. Uh, But, but, you know, in the the early 2000s, we started to have a problem on our land in in Didsbury. There was an oil well there, and it was illegally being operated and highly unsafely being operated, and and we couldn't develop the land. And and so, you know, how could this possibly have happened? So I started looking into what we call surface rights and and regulatory matters and, uh, you know, trying to solve these unique urban problems. And that led me to represent other urban landowners, particularly in Edmonton. We have some really serious lack of public safety here in oil and gas in Edmonton. And uh, and then it, you know, expanded from there. So, um, you know, started representing landowners in front of quasi-judicial boards like Alberta Utilities Commission and Alberta Energy Regulator and the what we call now the Land and Property Rights Tribunal. And uh, just really trying to find solutions to problems that landowners have with energy on their land. Everything from lack of public safety, inadequate compensation, failure to clean up, etc. And so it led me to, to form Polluter Pay Federation, where we can, landowners need advocates for their rights and to make sure, ultimately, the Polluter Pay Federation is to make sure that polluters pay and that landowners or taxpayers or citizens don't end up picking up the tab. I was like having energy. an opportunity to, to interview or to talk to people whose who's advocacy, and, and, and in some circumstances, they might even describe it as their calling, was birthed out of a personal experience. Somebody experiences something themselves, um, whether it's like a parent you're talking to that's had a sick child or a landowner that's had an issue on their land or somebody who was duped by a scam artist and lost their life savings. A lot of times people get that 
fire in their belly and it fuels their advocacy in a way that someone whose background may be purely academic, while not to take away from that work, they may not have that personal motivation. Is that a fair assessment or a description of you? It's definitely personal in a lot of ways. My mom has Parkinson's. It's definitely caused from extreme gas venting in the town of Didsbury. People's lives are at risk here every day, 24-7, in a town. And this is happening all over the province. Is there medical research are, that, that would support uh, that? Or is the, that just the, a the gut feeling just you say have? It's kind of like smoking in the 60s, anecdotally. We know it caused cancer. We can't quite prove it. That's, uh, that's how the neurologists have put it to me. Okay. Um, wow. But, you know, it's not hereditary Parkinson's. It's, it's acquired Parkinson's. So that's what really drives me on the gas venting side, which is one of my main things. So, you know, we have gas venting from oil and gas sites all over this province. It's a really, really bad situation. Our air quality is terrible. But it's, these are tasteless, odorless, invisible gases. We don't know we're breathing them. Hmm. Um, yeah, you mess with someone's mom, uh, you know, you're messing, you know, you're going to get the horns as they say, uh, I want to talk to you about what's been going on in Alberta right now and just get your, you know, your assessment here as somebody who kind of knows what's going on. I know that you've been involved in several town halls regarding solar development or projects in the province. Some of them have, have been maybe more positive and some of them, there's been some pretty fierce opposition. It sounds like Alberta's premier and, 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 uh, Alberta's minister of affordability and utilities, uh, announcing as you obviously know, a couple of weeks ago now that the province is placing at that time what was a seven-month moratorium on new wind and solar projects some are saying that this is what you know commissions and boards have asked for it's what the rural municipalities want Um, supporters of the moratorium will say this is a prudent move by the government and then there are some very loud voices that are saying this is uh, boneheaded ridiculous it's a conservative government standing in the way of business which you rarely see it's going to lead to unemployment for people working in renewables etc 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 it's become very political Uh, in your assessment typically these things don't get as political as this one has Uh, how does it look from your seat yeah i think it's gotten overly political i think that you know we have tribunals particularly uh you know quasi-judicial boards like the alberta utilities commission for electrical sort of uh, energy activities and the alberta energy regulator for oil and gas related activities we have them for a reason they're to fairly decide applications on a case-by-case basis in the public interest in accordance with the laws on the books in Alberta and the case law is developed by that board and by the oversight of the courts and so we need to do it that way uh, because each case has to be decided on its merits and you know we should be able to do that without outside influence whether it be from you know the, the government of the day or a given landowner or a given oil company, whatever it might be. So I think it's really important and it's really important for investment. You know, if you're going to invest in this province, you want to know that, you know, the, the playing field is going to be level that you can more or less predict what's going to happen. You're going to put a whole bunch of money into proposing a project, whether it be an oil well or a solar farm, you want to know, be able to have a reasonable prediction of what the outcome would be. So, so I think that that's what we're missing. I think the other thing that we're missing is that these boards are structured differently. They have different uh, overlapping jurisdictions. This is what the Alberta Utilities Commission chair pointed out. Uh, to uh, Minister Newdorf. And so there's a lot of confusion out there in the public and especially with landowners about, you know, 
it's called jurisdiction and venue. Who, which boards decide which things or which agencies decide which things? So I think landowners have an expectation of the Alberta Utilities Commission and renewables asking them to decide things that are beyond their powers to decide. The premier had kind of, um, I don't know if I would say she picked a fight with journalists in the province, but she, she definitely uh, disparaged them this week, suggesting that they're not doing their jobs. She says that she hasn't seen in any of the reporting that this pause was, in her words, requested uh, by the Alberta Electric System Operator, the AESO and the AUC, the Utilities Commission. Um, I want to credit excellent reporting by Emma Graney, Jason Markusoft and David Kleimanhaga, uh, or those are three that I've read um, that are pointing out that the timelines don't line up on this, that that boards like that, the AUC, for example, the Alberta Utilities Commission um, was essentially notified of the pause in the letter that they sent to the premier. They acknowledge that they have been notified. So so people are saying the timeline doesn't line up here and that the premier's obfuscating the matter a little bit. Um, there was a news uh, conference, a press conference earlier this week that got pretty interesting with Premier Daniel Smith. I'm sure you were watching it. Definitely. What was your takeaway? I mean, in the theme of what I'm talking about here. Well, my takeaway is that I think, first of all, I think it's quite clear now that that neither the AUC nor the AESO actually asked for this moratorium. I think that's become quite clear. I think that, 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 you know, the moratorium is largely because the lobby of Alberta rural municipalities for, uh, they're against using good farmland for solar activities. And I think that that lobby has been pretty successful. And that I seems think, to make sense. I think that if, if we were, you know, so, so let's put it this way. The AUC right now could on a case by case basis say, no, we're not going to allow this plant or this solar farm in this location. Like they did recently at Frank Lake, for example, Yeah, uh, they can use their discretion, uh, but there's no firm rule that says, Hey, you can't put uh, solar on good farmland. And, and so I, I think, Based on that, the biggest thing of two that I got out of that press conference on Monday with the premier, she's already decided that we're not going to put solar on good farmland. So that's why we're having the pause in my humble view, because because right now there's all sorts of people. There's solar farms planned for just south of Sylvan Lake and near the town of Calmar, et cetera. And I'm sure many other places that I'm not aware of. And so. She wants to make sure those get stopped and don't get approved in the meantime. Okay. It, it is interesting to, to have a, a political leader or the leader of any agency board or commission make declarations about the outcome of an inquiry before the inquiry or before the study has happened. I do think that that's happening here. I want to let our audience know that the, the president of the rural municipalities of Alberta, Paul McLaughlin, will be joining me on Tuesday, August 22nd. Uh, we'll be streaming that live uh, right around 9 o'clock Mountain Time. Of course, you can catch it later uh, right on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. So that's RMA President Paul McLaughlin will join me uh, coming up on Tuesday live at 9 in the morning. Is it is there and I'm going to ask him the same thing and I'll put this out to our to our audience members in, in Alberta and for that matter across the prairies. Uh, is, is this a huge issue that uh, all of our prime agricultural land, all of our best farmland is being overtaken uh, with solar panels? Uh, is, is that is that exactly what you think this is? I mean, is is this more a case? I mean, we're, we're hearing about people are saying, well, it's a blight on the landscape. They don't like looking at them. Uh, I wonder if this is maybe I mean, is this the next door neighbor? I mean, what's the vibe you're getting? Uh, it's no question the next door neighbor, and here's why. Because, you know, unlike oil and gas, 
you cannot force your way onto land for a solar farm. So you must have the consent of the actual landowner. So we have absentee landowners, for example, uh, that, that, you know, rent their land out anyway, they're going to rent their land to the highest bidder. So I think it's, it really is a question of the neighbors. And so those people, if you, if you are directly and adversely affected by an application, for example, for a solar farm, uh, you can ask to intervene in the, in the process, the approval process. And that's what's happening. So landowners are, are, uh, they remember what happened when the pipeline went across their land and didn't get cleaned up. Uh, lots of them remember what happened in oil and gas, and they're, they're insisting that, that cleanup occur. But I think they're also objecting to having this solar farm next to their land. So um, landowners have figured out that they can get together and successfully uh, mount a challenge at the AUC. I think there's another huge factor that people aren't considering. The AUC is paying landowners' costs. You don't get that at the AR much anymore. You don't get it at the Land and Property Rights Tribunal where people usually uh, appear for oil and gas. So they're figuring out that they can mount a challenge to solar and that they can actually get their costs back for their legal fees and hiring experts, et cetera. And they're learning how to actually stand up and, and contribute to the process of whether or not something should be cited in a particular location in Alberta. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. I We're agree. not doing it at oil and gas. Oil and gas is rubber stamped. Uh, we've got some really great questions in the chat I want to put in front of you, but, but I want to, and I should have asked this almost out on, on the outset. Um, I know that you've attended a number of town halls relating to different proposed solar projects in the province. Are you inherently pro-renewables? Are you inherently pro-solar? Are you a casual observer? Well, you're not casual, <laughs> but are you an observer? Like, where do you stand on it? Like, you're not here fighting for wind and solar. No. That's not the vibe I get. Or oil and gas. So, you know, I love oil and gas. Spent my career in it. Do you have but a bumper not, sticker, though, Mark? Do you no, have the... but we're oh, not doing... We haven't do been really doing it right. you really love it, then? Yeah, we haven't uh, been doing it right. So, uh, you know, we, we, we need to do these things right properly in accordance with law no matter what the activity is that's where i come from and we have to make sure that the polluter pays and that the landowner or the citizens aren't left with the cleanup tab and right now we got a 260 billion dollar and growing cleanup tab just for a few of our industries that doesn't include things like garbage dumps or gravel pits and and so those things are approved you know it, all different boards and different agencies and, and, and municipalities may or may not have powers and Alberta environment may or may not have powers. And this is where the confusion comes from. Which body do we go to to get which decisions made here? And this is, this is the root of the Alberta Utilities Commission letter to Minister Nudar saying we've got these overlapping jurisdictions and we've got a problem here. And that's what gave rise to all this in the first place, in my opinion. Uh, you, you shared this uh, with us. Uh, it's a letter dated August 11th. You write it to the, the Honorable Nathan Newdorf, Minister of Affordability and Utilities. It's like a, I don't know, about a four-page letter here. Um, and, and yeah, you talk about cooperative proceedings, basically. is that Can I sum it up by, by saying that? For, for those of us that, like, don't spend all our time in understanding all of this. And can, I guess what I'm saying is, can you dumb this down a little bit for us and, and, and let me know what this isn't like, we get a lot of people and I, I really appreciate this. We get a ton of people that CC us 
on their correspondence with their elected representatives, like Brendan just did this in his uh, call to, quote, rescind the moratorium on renewable energy development. And I'm going to read his email in a show to come. Um, that's one example out of many. But but a lot of those are, are like angry emails or like really sort of like emotional pleas to politicians. That's not yours. No. Yours is yours is like bing, bang, boom. This is like put together pretty, you know, in, in pretty structured fashion. What's what is the average person need to take away from your message to the minister? OK, so in the past, we had one regulatory body and I don't really like the term regulator regulator, but we had one regulatory body that decided all energy matters. It was called the RCB and it got split into two and that's today's AUC and AER, but they have different powers. And so when these two bodies were created in their enabling statutes, the, the government, it was a time of uh, Premier Redford, they put in there, and I've talked to the people at the Department of Energy that added these clauses, they added these clauses for what's called cooperative proceedings. So the AUC chair wrote to Minister Newdorf and said, you know, we have these overlapping powers. Alberta Environment has certain powers, we have certain powers, uh, municipalities have certain powers. You know, we're, we're not, we don't have the tools in our toolbox to deal with all these things that come up at a hearing. And I say, with great respect to the chair of that AUC, you do, in fact, have that tool. It's called a cooperative proceeding. So just invite Alberta Environment to be on your panel. Just invite the municipality to be on your panel. Then you have the power to decide these things collectively. It cuts red tape. We're supposed to be cutting red tape. So, so... You know, we can think of cooperative proceedings as a, a means of bringing people on that have additional powers and cutting red tape and getting right honing down to whatever issues that might come up in a proceeding without worrying about whether you're the correct venue or not. Uh. So, so now I've asked for these cooperative proceedings formally in front of the AUC. They said, we can't do it. Same with the AR. They said, we can't do it. Of course you can do it. It's in your statute. So, uh, and, and this first arose with the Surface Rights Board, now called the Land and Property Rights Tribunal, because uh, Premier Redford, when she changed these things, she said she was going to change the Surface Rights Act, but she didn't. And so the, 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 the Land and Property Rights Tribunal can't bring these other boards in. So I've been asking the license issuers, the AUC and the AAR, to do that, but they've refused. So, so we don't get to deal with these issues. Landowners have to hop around to all different tribunals to get their problems Well, and solved. you know how this goes their for industry people, can go to one place. For the yeah. average person, they're, they're not going to do that. The more intimidating and, and confusing the process, the, the, the more you feel like you're you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is actually an oncoming train, the less likely you are to do it. And, and no wonder, I, there are some really great uh, astute comments in the chat, and I want to get to those in just a quick second. Plus, I want to ask you about a new coal mine application. I noticed you dropped that in our chat yesterday. I thought, well, we're going to have to talk about that, and Sharon's demanding that we ask you about it. You know it. We got you covered, Sharon. Plus, I want to ask you about the future of R-Star. This was that $20 billion boondoggle, I'll say, that the premier originally pitched when she was the president of an enterprise group, and uh, it, it now sounds like it's maybe not totally off the table. I asked the environment minister about it last week, Rebecca Schultz, and she kind of went, eh, she was like, I haven't heard anything, but that's not necessary. We'll get into that with Mark Doran coming up in just a quick second. First, I want to let you know that Athabasca University right now, you know it is Canada's open university. You already know. You can learn at your own pace. You already know that your only commute is to your device, but do you totally realize how Athabasca University is actually transforming lives. Uh, they've got this great 
new storytelling platform, transforming lives, learners at AU like Elijah Bucken, uh, who talks about why AU is the right fit while he's building a family and a career. He goes on to say, like many Canadians who come from families in the lower middle class, Elijah was never told that university was an option. He said many of us are told to try to find a good job, a good partner, try to stay out of debt, right? He says my parents didn't emphasize the importance of education beyond high school. He said from my upbringing, I learned that taking the family first education after path is possible. We'll make sure my children know this too. He talks about how grateful he is that he found Athabasca University with a wide variety of diplomas and degrees that could launch his career into the next stage talks about his work with a financial aid advisor who helped him find what benefits and grants he could apply for and ultimately what a story now two years into a degree program loving it says my employer's taken note of my initiative i've been promoted since i started at au and he says from my upbringing basically i want to mention to anybody else whose story this resonates with it's not too late to continue your education au can help you restart your future. That's one of the lives transformed by Athabasca University. You can learn more about the application process at AthabascaU.ca. Well, it's a perfect time of year for a DQ blizzard, and we want to remind you that at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, that's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. You can get your hands on all the classics. I mean, who doesn't love a score blizzard or a Smarties blizzard, but they've also got some of their limited time summer treats that you've just got to check out. I personally love the s'mores blizzard treat. It doesn't last long in my hands. I'll tell you the truth there. Some are made for s'mores. And this one allows you to get your sweet chocolatey gooey marshmallowy fix without the fuss of heading out and building a campfire. You can find the s'mores blizzard treat today at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. All this talk about solar, I want to remind you two things. Number one, Kubi Renewable Energy is the number one solar installer in Western Canada, period. And you can get your free quote today, including details on available funds. Yeah, that's right. Depending on where you live, you may qualify for several different initiatives that could drop your price down right out of the gates. Plus, Kubi's hiring right now. If you're an electrician or an apprentice and you'd love the idea of working somewhere in Western Canada for a company that truly values their employees so much so they're contributing to their post-secondary education and matching investments, check out the careers link today at kubienergy.ca. And a shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. If you check out my Instagram story, you've seen that my wife Carrie was out with Mike. Mike's the founder of Eden Landscaping. They were picking out the plants. We're getting to the final stages of our backyard overhaul. This is one that we've planned for and saved up for for a few years now. And to see it all come to life has been just an incredible experience. Real Talkers dealing with Mike and his team have been a dream. We had to make a couple adjustments on the fly. It's like water off a duck's back with these guys. No problem at all. They're problem solvers. And you can make contact with them today. Either try to fit something in before the fall or get the conversation going, the design conversation for next spring's project. Either way, you'll find Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Mark Doran joining us in studio with the Polluter Pay Federation and obviously a, a fierce advocate for environmental protection amid a healthy energy sector in Alberta. We've got a lot of people on this. Uh, Ken in our live chat says, let's be clear. 
the Alberta Utilities Commission, AUC, wanted some clear rules on reclamation and land use. The Alberta, the Alberta Electric Systems Operator, the AESO, thanked the government for letting them know about the pause, not asking for it. The government added so-called reliability. This is a facade. Uh, Jenny says, when it's ruled by exemption in this province, while oil and gas has the right to proceed without approval, how can anybody know the process or who makes de- which decisions and when? Uh, Justin wonders, well, what constitutes good farmland when we're talking solar? And secondly, is anybody even going to farm it if it is? With farms shrinking, the next generation not wanting to take over, not all land is being used. Alberta Girl says, put solar panels on the barn, put them on the roof, but don't put them over agricultural land. A lot of people have a lot to say on this, Mark. That's what I heard uh, a lot at these solar farm uh, town halls that I went to. And, you know, to sum it up real briefly, they said, you know, once the parking lots are full and the rooftops are full and the land that can't, you know, grow food is full, well, then maybe come and approach us about our land, but not till then. So that's that pretty much just sums up, I think, the the attitude of some. I think that, that there's another factor that people haven't talked about. There, carbon pricing, carbon credit, trading, etc. There's a lot of landowners out there that just don't understand this. Uh, they think it's a conspiracy of the United Nations to take over their farmland because they've been listening to Fox News a little too much or something like that. But these things, these sentiments come out in these meetings. So uh, I, I found that it really differs depending on the area of the province with the meetings uh, taking place. But but I will say that there's this really well-informed group south of Sylvan Lake that asked me to come, and they wanted to know how they could mount a successful challenge in one of these uh, hearings, and and these are thoughtful people. These aren't, these are really thoughtful people. So we need to listen to them uh, as people that live in cities and, and listen to their concerns. hundred percent, a hundred percent. And and I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm, and, and, I, and, I, and I'll be honest, to a certain degree, <laughs> Uh, one angle on this, I have been scoffing a little bit, and that is, you know, including in 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 a, in almost an unprecedented move uh, for a government to impose a moratorium on on uh, what could be billions of dollars of development, could be thousands of jobs for more than a half a year. I mean, the premier the other day says, you know, I, a, a journalist asked her, "What would you say to the people whose employment will be affected by this?" She said, "It's six months. Like it's six months." Uh, I don't see a lot of people like through COVID where people were losing employment going, ah, it's six months. Like that's a half a year. That's 12 mortgage payments. That's a long time, right? And to, to, to be in a position where you're pressing pause on that development, where, where government is meddling in industry, that's a fact. Uh, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, government is meddling in industry here um, over concerns that people may have about things like their view being impeded by wind turbines, part of me does roll my eyes. I'll be honest, because I don't think that we've com- we've given people the right to like, I, you know, I don't like that my view is being impeded by that drilling rig. I don't like that my view is being impeded by that Amazon warehouse. I don't we, we don't really go there. Right. And so for me, I, I just kind of wonder at the end of the day, what's really prompting the decisions, how people can trust that that's the right process. And once it does start to get really torqued politically, you know, if you if you're a fan of the conservatives, you're going to support the decision. If you're if you oppose the conservatives, you're going to oppose the decision. And I don't think that that's the best way to approach this. Look, I'm going to go back to how it's supposed to be done at law, and that is, we have the specialized uh, quasi judicial tribunals for a reason. 
and there to decide each project on its merits and according to law on a case-by-case basis whether it should go forward and to impose terms and conditions. So to answer, I think it was Ken's question, uh, where they're looking for cleanup rules, well, we have them. It's just that the AUC, unlike the Alberta Energy Regulator, doesn't have the power to impose those. Someone else does, in this case, Alberta Environment. Simply invite them to the hearing or, you know, just because you can't deal with it in this particular hearing doesn't mean that those matters won't be addressed. So I think we just have confusion out there as to, you know, how to approach these different matters. So we need to have independent decision makers making these things, these decisions in accordance with the rule of law so that jobs can be considered, everything in the public interest can be considered, investors can have certainty, etc. And if we start doing it willy-nilly or according to politics, you know, we just become a banana republic and we're going to chase off investors and we're going to lose jobs. So let's 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 do things right. Not we're going to chase off investors. This is already obviously changed. I think that's true. It, it, well, so, it's saying no thank you to investors right now. Sure, it's not and, even scaring them away. You know, and I've heard from some huge potential investors things like hydrogen in Europe that, are, that that's got, have billions of dollars. They don't want to come here. Mm. They, they think that we're just deciding things off the cuff politically in this province. Because that's, we are. That's, and because we are. we are. So we got to smarten up. Uh, Alberta has a fantastic future. We can be a world leader in energy. We haven't been. You know, this whole thing that we have ethical oil and ethical energy in Alberta, it's bunk. We could be. We have great laws. We could do it right. We need to have the best boards in the world decide these things properly, appeal things to the courts like we're supposed to, not decide them in the back rooms. Albertans don't like when energy-related matters go before the courts because Alberta has not been batting very well in the courts. And I'm not cheering for a loss uh, for Alberta, but I do think that rule of law should apply to things. I mean, I think there have been some pretty prominent, Northern Gateway is the first one that comes to mind, but some pretty prominent losses in court. And, uh, and so no wonder that, you know, some people would rather play a little fast and loose or pull the strings they can pull, right? I mean, you know, Ken says this excuse if it's only six months is silly. The rules that will come out of this will most likely put the brakes on a lot of development with red tape and subjective rules. Don't worry, Ken, we have a minister of red tape reduction. Um, KP says chances are there's some serious lobbying from the oil and gas industry regarding policies that may be put in place for renewables, like, you know, what's good for the goose? Ought to be good for the gander. Do you have concerns, Mark? I mean, you, you know, to bring this back to the the, the well on your family's property, uh, you know, your mom's Parkinson's, uh, you know, t- to get back to what drives you uh, to, to your you know conviction that we got to protect the planet, obviously. Um, do you share some of the concerns around the environmental impacts of things like wind turbines, solar panels, the concrete platforms that could be left over, the, the, the bits that can't be recycled, uh, the, some of the more rare uh, you know, elements that are used in the construction of them that requires mining that some people, I think, turn a bit of a blind eye to? There are objections. Uh, do you give credence to those? Do you share some of those concerns? Absolutely. And we have to deal with them on a case by case basis. And my own personal experience is that recently, just less than a year ago, the oil company finally exited the land on my parents' farm. But they didn't clean up, but they got a reclamation certificate anyway. They didn't clean up at all. So I appealed it to the proper board, the Alberta Energy Regulator. We had a hearing. 
they admitted that their computer system's broken and just is shitting out bogus reclamation certificates. That's what's going on in Alberta in reality. It's no wonder farmers what? don't. Wait, 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 wait. What? The yeah. computer's broken and it's yeah. accidentally printing certificates? Yes, and I Come let on. the ministers know. What? This They're, is like the dog ate can, my homework. You can read paragraph 215 onwards of Doran versus Whitecap Resources in, in, in Will you a send published it to me decision so we can of the tweet Alberta it out? Energy, energy Regulator. Send it to me so we can tweet it no out? No problem. All right. So, so we're not cleaning up. We get Reclamation certificates, as per the Auditor General, are being issued you know, out the back door. No wonder landowners are standing up and saying, let's fix this in renewables because we're tired of this, with everything that's gone on in oil and gas for decades in Alberta. We, you know, we're not ethical in Alberta. We're not cleaning up after ourselves as industry. We're letting them off the hook, and landowners know it. Most landowners have a pipeline going across their land. That's the number one place where land is not reclaimed in Alberta. And the reason is, is because, see, there's this big gap. We're either supposed to have uh, security deposits or pay the landowner. But we don't pay the landowner on an ongoing basis for pipelines. And therefore, they never, there's no timeline. There's, you have to clean up the land, but they don't say when. See, this so is you why can leave it forever. conversations with, with people like you, Mark, I find particularly intriguing because you're a guy that's, that's worked in oil and gas for many years, but I guarantee that you get a lot of blowback uh, for pushing back. I, I guarantee, you know, are, are people like right now you're saying, we don't have ethical oil in Alberta. If I say something like that into the camera, I'm going to hear from, you know, if, I, if I'm lucky, a few people, and if not, you know, it'll, it'll get blown up by you know, some prominent right-wing media personalities and all of a sudden people start calling me a traitor and an enemy of the state. Well, I'm not an enemy of the state, I don't think. I mean, I think we, we can have this fantastic oil and gas industry in Alberta. We've got the greatest laws in the world. But let's here just, you are let's saying... Let's just abide by them. Back to back, you've said on this show, I love oil and gas, yep. and you've said our oil and gas is not ethical. It's true. I mean, I love the industry. That's real the, talk. You know, so, you know, here's the other thing. We've got... 460,000 holes in the ground in this province that penetrate groundwater. Most of them are going to leak gas to atmosphere in the future. Um, you know, we talk about removing concrete from the base of, of, of wind turbines, but guess what? We've got oil well cement that's not going to last in these wells and pipe that's going to corrode away in these wells. And there's lots of urban wells, at least 1,400 in town. There's hardly any town or city in this province that doesn't have oil or gas in it at one point. So we've got these abandoned wells, and abandoned means sealed and no longer productive. They're, they're in our backyards, they're in our school playgrounds, they're in our fields, they're in our parking lots, and most of them are leaking. I, I can't get to my house in North Red Deer without going over about at least six of them in the road. What do you think the future of our star is? For people that, that sort of, it sounds vaguely familiar, this was a proposal that Danielle Smith pitched before she was premier. Um, it could be worth up to about $20 billion. Uh, and, and what I mean by worth $20 billion means is that's what it could cost taxpayers to incentivize industry to clean up its own mess. Uh, she went silent on it through the course of the campaign. She hasn't talked a lot about it uh, since she was you know, elected for the first time and, and, and sort of earned that four-year mandate. But there was a tiny little hint dropped uh, on Monday, I think it was, during her news conference where it sounded like she said, you know, she said we're going to have to find a way to incentivize this. Do you think that means R-Star? No question. So 
our store under some different name. So what she was asked is in the context of will there be, when she, I say uh, the Premier of Alberta, you know, will there be incentives to clean up? And she said, well, for, so she, did, she, did, she does what she always does. She started out by talking about what's called mandatory spend at the Alberta Energy Regulator. So they're, they're forcing oil companies to clean up some percentage of their inactive wells. 3%. But, you know, let's not forget that those who have no money can't clean up anything. So only the ones with money are actually doing it. Uh, so she starts with that and then she switches and she says, we have to clean up the worst of the worst. So she's been clear in her radio shows, etc., that that we now have, we're going to be a pilot program that's a mini R-star, if you will, proposed to clean up what she calls the worst of the worst, contaminated site. She's been very clear on this. So we have a law. It's part five of the Environmental Protection and Enhancement Act. And it says that if there's contamination, if there's a spill of a substance of concern, cleanup has to occur by law immediately. You can't leave it for 20 years. So those are the ones she wants to clean up with through incentives. So, so our star is an incentive against drilling. So you can get your drilling costs back. If you clean up this well, you can apply those cleanup costs to a reduced royalty if you drill a new well. So it's all designed to, to keep things rolling and drill more new wells, but, but it's still taxpayers' money. So it's against polluter pay, but I think we're going to have it for sure. It was her number one thing. Uh, as a lobbyist before she's a premier, she keeps bringing it up in virtually every press conference she has. Is there so a I way that you could, it. is there a way that it could be palatable to you? I mean, no. if, if it actually worked, no, it's against the law to, uh, you know, these companies must clean up these contaminants. The, the, the solution at law is clear. It's something called an environmental protection and order. So the, Either the AER can issue one if it's oil and gas, or Alberta Environment can issue one for any other industry, including solar. That's what has to occur. So if there's been a substance spilled, you issue environmental protection order and you force the company to clean it up. We have the remedy at law. Let's just use it. Uh, before we go, uh, I've got to ask you, I think I know why, but, but you pumped into our chat yesterday, right near the end of the show. You said, by the way, everybody... Uh, there's a new metallurgical coal mine application that should be on folks' radar. Uh, I don't know a ton about it, but my understanding, metallurgical coal, that's that's what they use for steel, right, to make steel. So there's right. obviously a high demand for this coal globally and will be for many, many years. So a lot of people will say, well, why shouldn't Alberta capitalize on this demand? Why phase out these jobs? Why halt this economic activity? What's your perspective on this uh, coal mine application in particular? But bigger picture on coal exploration and mining in the province of Alberta? Well, the, the, my, my take is that people rose up against this. They no coal mining in the eastern slopes. This, these are eastern slopes applications I'm talking about, metallurgical We're coal. talking about our precious Rocky Mountains. Rocky Mountains, exactly. So, but we've already had a hearing at the AAR, and they did deny one of these applications and the reason is selenium and other things in the environment etc so it wasn't in the public interest so so we're you know but people don't get that you have to oppose each one of these projects one by one just like their landowners are doing on solar right now you have to do that with oil wells you have to do it with coal mines there is a process and so people have to watch they have to file the right statement of concern ask for the correct hearings they have to get lawyers they have to get experts this all costs money that's why we formed the polluter pay federation 
We need a group that has money like industry that can push back against the powerful lobbies of industry. That's why we form Polluter Pay Federation. So this is what's needed. People cannot fight these projects uh, unless they get their costs back, unless they have the, the money. And, and, and the, you know, they have to take the flawed decisions of these boards, if they're flawed, and appeal them either to the board itself, if they can do that, or to the courts. This is just not happening, especially in oil and gas. Uh, so what do you think is going to happen with this? So if you look back to, to two years ago, uh, you know, I've talked to Corb Lund about this several times. He got like basically every, not every, but a lot of the country singers in Alberta, um, including some prominent conservatives, country singers that have no problem talking about which way they vote and who they, and they were all speaking out against coal. Yep. Uh, landowners, wealthy ranchers yep. um, were all super pissed off about it. Um, and then it doesn't seem to really be a, a blip on the radar right now. Can, can you see this story firing up again? Do you think that people have, have lost their appetite for this? There, there's, there's this sort of like exhaustion that people can experience when it comes to matters of politics, fundraising. We see it. Do you think that that's at play here? No, I don't. I think people think that they solved the problem. Ah. And it hasn't been solved. Uh, people think that political solutions are the solutions to legal problems. They're not. Energy issues in Alberta are first and foremost matters of law. So we've got to intervene properly at the correct boards and go through the whole process. That's how it's set up. So unless we change all these laws and just say, okay, the premier gets to decide where we put all the oil wells and all the solar, you know, unless we change the laws, we've got to follow them. Otherwise, we've just become another banana republic. So... You can follow uh, Mark Doran on Twitter at Mark underscore Doran, and uh, you can find the Polluter Pay Federation on Facebook. Thanks for coming up uh, from Red Deer today. You're driving three hours round trip to, to hang out with us, but in studio is always so much better. Really a pleasure to be here. You, it's a gorgeous facility, so thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. That's Mark Doran, a good friend of the show, and I guarantee you'll find him in the chat in future episodes. Always love when you pop in there. Um, hey, I mean, talking about the studio, why don't we give a shout out to our good friends at Complete Care Restoration right now? They're the ones that built this place. They're the ones that, that came into a situation where it was just bare bones, basically, and some work to be done, including fixing some water leaks, stuff like that. And that's exactly what they did uh, with utmost professionalism and uh, truly a delight to deal with. You know, you kind of wonder when you're in a situation like ours, you know, what happens if we're endorsing a company? And then what happens if they don't do that great of a job? <laughs> That's not what happened here. It was unbelievable. And uh, we're so proud to give two thumbs up to Complete Care Restoration. The fact of the matter is, sometimes if you're reaching out to them, it's going to be because you're dealing with an absolute nightmare. You know, your basement's flooded or, you know, your garage, your shop burned down, whatever it is. Uh, you can be trust. You can you can trust that this company uh, is going to make sure that your project, your investment is restored uh, right back to how it was before or better. You can find them online at CompleteCareRestoration.ca or give them a call, 780-454-0776. Did you see that uh, email that we got, Johnny? Was it uh, yesterday, I think? It was It was from the fellow that had gone to Friesen Brothers. Yeah. How great this was. I love this. And uh, Real Talkers, we just love when you reach out to us. This is from Daryl, uh, who sent us a note to talk at RyanJesperson.com. It says, Jesper, I just recently moved to Stony Plain. Uh, obviously, he says, I'm shopping at the Friesen Brothers out here, even though I live closer to the Safeway. Boy, Daryl says I was listening to a recent episode about Mir New Mernham School. Uh, that was our Friday roundtable last week. He says, what an excellent episode. He says, and I heard about how they sold 
produce to the Twisted Fork in St. Paul, Alberta. Well, says Daryl, I'm wandering through the aisles of Friesen Brothers and I find a display of jellies and sauces from the Twisted Fork in St. Paul. He says, I tried the mustard barbecue sauce tonight and it was delicious. And I thought you might like to know. Well, Daryl, we sure do. And we thank you for that. Out in Stony Plain and 15 other Alberta communities, you'll find Friesen Brothers, Alberta Grown and Alberta Owned. Uh, Also in Alberta and Saskatchewan, you'll find local environmental services. And if you are a decision maker, maybe you work for a municipality, maybe you work for a ma and pa shop, or maybe you work for, I don't know, a big business like West Edmonton Mall. Uh, West Edmonton Mall, you'll see local environmental bins all around that property. And number one, I think a lot of people go with local environmental because they're going to pay a little bit less than with the other competitors. But number two, you're going to get better service and you're going to get more support for local causes. I mean, local environmental services, for example, supports and sponsors that Mayor of the Mall initiative four times a year. Remember that? We've talked about that. So they keep it real. You know, they walk the talk, so to speak. You can request a quote today. Start saving money at local environmental. And this is a shout out to those of you that happen to have your PNG. This is a specific mention to the professional engineers that may be catching this show. Maybe you tuned in for the first time to hear Mark Doran. Apex Automation is on the leading edge of automating industry in Western Canada, and they're currently looking for team members. They're looking for professional engineers, electricians, as well as students that may soon be graduating from engineering schools across Canada and beyond. If you'd like to work on projects in in Saskatchewan, Alberta, BC, Texas, and elsewhere, if you'd like to be pushed professionally and see yourself flourish uh, personally, as well as reaching your ultimate potential, these are some of the bedrocks upon which Apex Automation is built. And you can find them online today. Check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. We had a ton of response yesterday uh, to our conversation on whether or not the CFL is dying. And we wanted to share some of these with you because, uh, I mean, some of your comments were were hilarious. Uh, Some of them were insightful. And uh, we just thought that, you know, oftentimes when we ask you for feedback, we want to make sure that we present that feedback so the audience hears it. Uh, We were talking uh, just yesterday uh, with Travis Curra, who's the host of the Two and Out CFL podcast. Make sure you check out that interview if you missed it. Uh, But it was great to hear from Tom Halleck. Tom's worked uh, PA, like public address. So this is is a guy who's worked in the CFL for many years. He worked one NFL game, Johnny, he was Mm -hmm. saying. And and he basically, he jumped out on this, and I loved it. He says, you know, the the Elks are 0-9, and so, oh, the CFL's going to fold. Hey, he says, jumping catfish, Jesperson. The CFL doesn't revolve around Edmonton any longer. He says the Bombers went through the same thing in the mid-2010s. He's not worried. He says the CFL will survive. And then so I, I, I tweeted him, uh, and I kind of had a good laugh at it. Jumping catfish is one of the coolest phrases that I've ever heard, and I'm definitely stealing it. But I tweeted back at him, and I said, I, I hope you're right. I hope the CFL will survive. We're not cheering against it. We just can't ignore what we're seeing which is waning interest and empty seats. And he says, I'm pretty sure I'm correct Amundo on this one. He says in the 80s, all the way through 1996, the league was on death's door so many times, the coroner was in the next room. He says the, the riders in Saskatchewan ran telethons to stay alive. Nobody does 
telethons, quite like the province of Saskatchewan. Uh, shout out to you. He says the Bombers did a ticket drive telethon in the late 80s, and he says the league is okay now. Why don't we run through some of the other feedback we got? Because this was great. I, I put it on my Instagram. These are some of the comments. I, I asked, uh, you know, is, is the CFL dying? Uh, one of you replied, yes, no one gives a fuck about the CFL. Uh, another one said, hmm, good question. Another one of you uh, had this to say, you basically, uh, in, in straight talk, you said, kind of. One of you thinks we need a new team in the mix. Interesting. Another says, gosh, I hope not. I hope it's not dying. Ron took the time to send us an email. He says, I've been thinking about what was discussed on the show. I, I, to be honest, I haven't watched the CFL, at least not religiously, for like a decade. says it became stale for me, and I simply lost interest. It's hard to keep things interesting with such a small number of teams. It needs something uh, to reinvigorate. It's not the XFL, he thinks. It's not Vince McMahon, both of which are jokes and would turn a respectable product into a joke. Ron, I share that concern. He says, I'd view it as an unserious attempt to make it relevant again. The whole prospect of that partnership reeked of desperation. Totally agree. He says, letting it die, though, is not the path forward. There's too much history. There's too much value. It's contributed to the Canadian cultural zeitgeist. Wow, that word twice in one episode for it to fail. He says, I'm not sure what the path forward is. Maybe expansion, uh, maybe putting an interesting or relevant product on the field in one of the league's biggest markets like Edmonton could help. He says, I feel like a high school team would beat the Elks right now. Maybe what we need is for the Elks to play a high school team and just demolish them to remind Jeez, people how good they are. <laughs> Take the best high school team in Alberta. It's and- like when the Oilers uh, rookies play the Golden Bears. Yeah. Although the Golden Bears often win that one. Yeah, they're it's pretty all good. Like, it's all 23-year-olds. <laughs> it's 23-year-olds that played in the dub. But he says, you know, the, the Elks, the Eskimos before that haven't been relevant since they won the Grey Cup in 2015, and we're on a downward trend long before the whole name change occurred. But the issues with the league have been experienced in various ways by all nine clubs. Even the might of Ryder Nation is experiencing issues. So Ron says, I think a younger audience is just bored of it, quite frankly, vastly overshadowed by a much more superior and interesting product south of the border. The CFL needs to compete with not only the NFL, but the NCAA. You're 100% right, Ron in the U.S. and our national sport of hockey in Canada. And I know someone's going to email and say lacrosse is our national sport, but I digress. He says, anyway, good show as always. That from Ron. Thanks, pal. And then there was Jeff. Uh, People will remember Jeff Nash, who joined us on the show, talking about his rinks around the league YouTube channel. Jeff talked to us about the Hockey Canada scandal. Really interesting guy. He's worked in pro sports. In particular, he's worked in production uh, in the National Hockey League for many years. And and he sent us this. What are we going to call these? We've got to come up with a cool name for them. But he basically. Video rebuttals. Video rebuttals. His hot video take. This is a first on Real Talk. We'd love more of these. Uh, here's what Nasher had to say. Hey, Real Talkers. Jespo. Um, I had an idea regarding the CFL. I've always had this idea to move the Great Cup game to host it on Canadian Thanksgiving. You know, make it an all-Canadian affair. You know, when families get together, uh, you know, multiple families get together to celebrate Thanksgiving, have the big turkey dinner, then after that's all said and done, pop on the TV and watch the Great Cup game. I think it would be a really good uh, marriage and to give it uh, an all-Canadian flair for sure. Um, You know, even for host cities, you know, uh, being able to host Great Cup parties and stuff, uh, you know, being able to host it at a time of year where it's still really nice out, you know, here in Edmonton in November, uh, early December, I mean, it's cold. It's minus 20 sometimes and like two feet of snow at that point. So why not hold it at a time when it's a lot more comfortable for fans to come out and, and enjoy? 
Um, and I'm sure the players would love to play the most important game of, uh, of the year in you know ideal temperatures i'm sure they would love that so i don't know how you would pull it off if you have to move the start of the season earlier or condense the schedule but uh i think it would be a match made in heaven what do you guys think i love it so that's from nasher who by the way for those of you that just heard it on the pod uh he shot that outside commonwealth stadium i like that so he's, he's even got the you know the visuals behind him reminding us of the institution that is the cfl in so many, people, so many people's minds. So here are the dates that you would consider. The Grey Cup 2023, this is the 110th Grey Cup Festival, uh, is going to be taking place, the game, at Sunday, November 19th. Okay? Canadian Thanksgiving this year falls on October 9th. At least that's the, that's the stats, the Monday the 9th. So let's say people's Thanksgiving dinner, the game itself could be on Sunday the 8th. And so you'd be moving it back about six weeks, uh, which, like, Jeff said would mean you'd need to either start the season earlier, which could be an option. Uh, people might be talking about, ah, but you know that that all of a sudden you get the the CFL season kicking off when the Stanley Cup Finals are still on. Uh, that that might be a tough start for the CFL. You never know. You know what are people's sporting appetites? Mm -hmm. Are people you know going to be able to check out both? Will there be waning interest uh, or condensing the schedule? Yeah. You're going to get the teams' owners saying. No way. Yeah. We're not condensing this. Fewer games means less revenue, mm -hmm. which is not what the league needs right now. But I... They don't need fewer games. But. Love the idea. Love, love, love the idea of the Grey Cup happening on Canadian Thanksgiving. Of course. And uh, I, I speaking about the NHL, I always feel like the playoffs are too long. And I go, they go too far in the summer. Like, I would rather see a best of five series for each round. Or, I don't know, just... They got to speed it up. Like, I just feel like the NHL goes too long. And, and I do agree. Like, it's hard. The big four sports, getting them all lined up perfectly. And then the CFL in there, too. Yeah. And they're going to overlap. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if simply changing a schedule, though, will, will save uh, what, what the problems are with the CFL. But you know? it could be. like it could, But it could boost it. We talk about those memories. You know, we talk about how if you're, you know, I said this the other day. Uh, if you're, you're not going to be 25 and shelling out to buy tickets to go see a CFL game. Game, 35 and you know trying to get maybe season tickets for your family 45 you know maybe investing in advertising like you don't have that lifelong connection with the team typically unless you were in the stands when you were five unless you have childhood memories of getting your first autograph or catching a ball in the stands or, or whatever and I think if I think back to Thanksgivings as a child and that cherished family time um, was lucky enough I'm lucky enough to have those memories um, I think that if the Grey Cup was on in the background, you associate it with, like, what do people think about the World Juniors and the World Junior Hockey Championship? Boxing it's Day. Boxing Day, right? It's everybody wearing, like, you know, you got your new Jordan Eberle jersey back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, and then here you are as a family, you know, dad's into the Baileys and coffee and mom's got the mimosas going and all the kids are gathered around the TV. And, and Thanksgiving, you always Canada. know there's a big NFL game on. Like, there's, there's these certain dates, you know. It would be great. I think uh, what... Um, What's his name? Who's the guy on the video? Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, sorry. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say Josh, and I didn't want to say the wrong name. It would be great to have a specific date that you knew that it was going to happen that would be relevant, and, and I agree with him. That would be a little more 
family fun oriented because it's it's just not right now. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, want to give a shout out to Ken. Thanks, Ken. Uh, uh, this super chat. If you're watching us live on YouTube, Ken shot us five bucks. Thanks, buddy. Says great guest today. Uh, the uh, the team behind the scenes loves it because uh, it all goes to them. Um, <laughs> he says a tiny little extra bobble from me. We love what you, he says. I love what you guys do. Ken, that means a lot to us and we sure appreciate it. Um, and boom, whoa, Anna, Anna for the first bucks. super sticker, Anna. So wow. super stickers are ways that you can share uh, emojis and, um, uh, you know, how you're feeling that day. She put up a coffee. She's been talking about coffee days. Some other people in the chat, too, were just coffee is a godsend. But super chats uh, and super stickers are enabled on YouTube. And OK, you can, cool. Uh, you know. We're, we're not out here begging for money. We're but not hey, begging for money. But we like, love when people like I love when Ken wants to hear his question and he throws a little token of affection and appreciation in the form of a few bucks because we see it right away and your your question gets asked right away. And we'll let you know, like I, I love doing this with our Patreon crew and you can support us on Patreon if you'd like. Uh, you go to RyanJesperson.com, click on connect and then just follow the link. And you know people give us like seven bucks a month and we sure appreciate that. And then we'll let our Patreon supporters know they get their own email emails um what that goes to and so sometimes you've helped us upgrade our lighting in the studio you've helped us add another camera angle sometimes you've helped us support journalism by 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 you know we don't we can't pay all of our guests but but if chances are if you're hearing an independent if you're hearing somebody that that has their own patreon i can think of like recently storm chasers Mm -hmm. correspondents out of russia and the ukraine um stuff like that um you know we're happy on behalf of our patreon crew to support their journalism they make our show better and we sure appreciate that very much um so yeah we'll we'll keep these uh the super chat funds and then and when we get paid out from youtube we'll let you our audience know what that went to um and it might just be lunch at cactus club for johnny that might that might be what it goes to we don't know boom another one from gene oh geez <laughs> gino that a boy five bones thanks buddy i want to actually give a shout out here i know who that guy is personally uh, Gene is an incredible dude, and uh, he said to me, "If you know, he's not punching into the chat right now." So, Gene, I'll tell the story on your behalf. He was in my ear like a year ago or more, and Gene's a big YouTube guy, so he watches his talk shows on mm-hmm. YouTube, and that's where he found us, and we're grateful to have you here. He said, why have you not enabled Super Chat? Yeah. He said that like a year ago. He go- yeah. It's just his way to give a little, to top people up a little bit, and so Gino, here you have it happening. <laughs> it's come full circle, pal. Well, we're, we're upgrading every, like, first of all, we just got into a new studio, and we just got things, like I, I said last week, I'm like, I'm finally feeling comfortable in here. Everything's upgraded. Everything's ready to go, but we will be having. Can I can I give them a little window? We will be having another upgrade uh, before the fiscal year in September. Yeah, we'll see. And we're gonna try and have your super chats uh, show up directly on the screen on the screen as well. When that kind of you'll, you'll see, we've got some big things. We just want it to be better September. and better and better. Uh, so this stays your favorite show. We sure appreciate you on that. Thanks for sharing our content. Today's show went a little longer than normal. Hey, sorry, not sorry. We had a lot to talk about. Coming up on tomorrow's show, there's a physician out of Calgary. And, uh, well, she basically believes that the government's got to start paying for contraception. Dr. Rapinder Tour will join us to make her arguments. I wanted to let you know as well, we have confirmed on Monday, I'm going to be talking one-on-one with the founder of Take Back Alberta, David Parker, coming up on Monday's show. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. 
Executive Producer, Josh Dunford. Technical Producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.